0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Great Obsession Podcast. I'm Riley, and I'm drinking a sparkling strawberry juice beverage from Trader Joe's today. Classic. What are you drinking, Sam?
1: Um, <laughs> I'm Sam, and I am drinking a regular hot latte. No flavoring. No flavoring, just like last time. I know. we are all sweetened out after the weekend. Huh. Yeah, I am. I just, you know, sometimes... Nothing hits, just like a plain latte. I don't know. So true. So true. Well,
0: today it's Curse for True Love Day, the long-awaited final installment in Stephanie Garber's... What's the name of this series? Is the series just called Once Upon a Broken Heart?
1: That's a great question. I think so. I don't okay. know. Yeah, because the Caraval Car series is just called Caraval. Okay.
0: It's just kind of a long name, so it's like a a mouthful. The final installment in the Once Upon a Broken Heart series is finally out. We have read it, and we have seen a little bit of the conversation online. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure exactly what to say besides we have a lot to say, and we would like to approach this discussion a little bit differently than the way we've seen it discussed online mm-hmm.
1: I yeah I think maybe an important thing to say at the beginning and we should say this maybe at the beginning of all of our episodes but we don't but it, that like authors work really hard on the work that they create and mm-hmm. regardless of how you feel about that art there's like a time and a place to sort of, like, express yourself critically and, like, being critical of art is important, but also, like, somebody put a lot of effort into creating this. And I Mm -hmm. think we just kind of wanted to approach this book from a, like, a critical but, like, gentle space, I think. Yes.
0: Yes. Maybe have, like, a, a more nuanced conversation, um with some empathy toward the author Mm. and also just i guess like you said we're going to be critical of this book if if you can't tell already but um i don't want to be filling the room with negative negative energy and ranting the way we were on chain of thorns (laughs) yeah agreed (laughs) especially because that's our top episode and i can't believe that that's the one that people the most people have heard is us just being like I think it's the most just absolutely bitching. Yeah. It's it says a lot about us, but it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. We're growing and learning. And also I really liked this series mm-hmm. and this book as a whole. Anyway, so I don't wanna sit here yes. and be like We hate everything, but you know, we have some questions.
1: Yes. Some critiques. I think maybe a good place to start is like what is our initial rating for this book?
0: Yes. Oh, and also, if in case you couldn't tell, there will be spoilers in this episode for A Curse for True Love. We always forget to say this. For the whole series. Once Upon a Broken Heart, The Ballad of Never After, and A Curse for True Love. There will be spoilers, maybe light spoilers for Caraval, but we probably won't talk about it too much. Yeah. All right. Um, my initial rating is... What is my initial rating? Maybe 5 out of 10.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go... With a six, I think. And I think Solid. that we kind of talked about this before we started recording, but this series as a whole, this book itself, like in the grand scheme of things, still really good, still really mm-hmm. um, holds up. Uh, a lot of other books that I've read throughout the year haven't captured my attention as much as this series did and, like, leave mm-hmm. such a lasting impression on me where I'm, like, really thinking about these characters and I want to look at fan art for these characters like this series mm-hmm. did. And I think that really speaks to um, the quality of the series, even if this book was maybe a little... fell a little flat in comparison to the mm-hmm. previous ones.
0: Yes. Now, I think a big reason that ultimately this book fell flat for both of us is that it felt like a very different book mm-hmm. than the previous two books. It almost felt like it was written by a different person mm-hmm. or was a different series all on its own. There were a lot of differences here because I think something we talked about a lot in the last two books was like how we how much we loved the themes of fate and i feel like that theme wasn't super present in this no
1: that theme like like maybe went down the toilet i that's maybe another conversation when we get to talking about plot is yeah. what happened to the that particular theme um i think this book i just like didn't really have any themes for me yeah um Maybe if I, would agree. I think about it for a while, something will come across. But at least with the other books, I sort of finished, and I was like, "Oh, there's clearly this theme and this theme, and we're talking about this sort of messaging, yada, yada, yah." And this book, I was like, "I don't know," like I'm I'm drawing a little bit of a blank. Um, yeah, and so I think that was like that continuity was lost between the books. Yes.
0: Yes, which makes it just a little bit jarring, I mm-hmm. think, to read this, because um, I think we both obviously went in with some pretty high expectations. In the last episode, we talked about a lot of loose ends we were hoping to see filled as well as just a lot of excitement about Eva Jacks. Is that the ship name? Yeah. I feel like that's what I've seen yeah. online. And, uh, you know, overall, the way we thought things were going to end and we can talk about the ending later, but ultimately I think this book just had a really different feeling because um, it also had multiple POVs. Mm-hmm. And something we loved about the last two books was the world and how magical and vivid it was. And I, I we both, I think, feel like this book kind of lost some of the, that like magic feeling mm-hmm. that the last two books have. Now, why why do you think that is? Was it just like less... I suppose less uh descriptions of like Evangeline's dresses and the parties and
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that there were fewer descriptions in general of how people looked, what Evangeline was wearing and what like the settings looked like. Um I think the strongest descriptive moments came when we were getting sort of like the gore and horror elements. Mm-hmm. um and i think that that took it it sort of shifted from like oh this is like a fairy tale magic world that sort of has some scarier elements to this is a scary world that occasionally mm-hmm. has some fairy tale elements and that was a big shift for me and it it sort of takes away from the whimsy of the book um and I love the whimsy. <laughs> Whimsy's my favorite part. Yeah. So Yeah. I think that was a big shift in tone. Yeah.
0: I would agree. And on the one hand, I enjoy a good horror element. Agreed. In book. And I felt like her descriptions were pretty strong mm-hmm. when there was like the Tree of Souls I really liked. I thought mm-hmm. that was a super fascinating concept. I loved I felt like the descriptions of it were very vivid. And um there was another thing i had noted oh and the cursed forest was also pretty cool mm-hmm. like a forest that puts you back in a in your best memory but you can't quite you
1: can't get reach it. it
0: i thought that was super fascinating mm-hmm. so there were some really cool magical elements going on but like you said they felt different because it wasn't like we sparkles and glitter and vivid colors it was like more macabre and more and uh scary i
1: will <laughs> say i'm not opposed to that like I thought, um, like, when Evangeline comes out, when they they have the, like, one bed, no vacancy situation, Mm -hmm. and she wakes up and Mm -hmm. she's alone, and she, like, comes out and she, like, realizes there's, like, blood in the hallway, and she, like, walks down and there's, like, all of these bodies and there's blood everywhere. I was actually, Mm -hmm. I was like, ooh, like, that that was very descriptive for me. I really felt like I could see things, like, see it, be in the moment, and I was into it well into it is like maybe Mm -hmm. not the right turn of phrase but um (laughs) i was like i really felt like i was in the book in that scene but then she like the minute she steps out and she gets taken by those guards it's like uh we're forget we like forget about that scene entirely and like Totally. It just is a totally. So it, it was like. It's a kind of throwaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I felt like the most descriptive scenes were the horror elements and they were the throwaway scenes. Because you also get some of those with Apollo. Um, yes. And it's like, okay, are we ever coming? Like those things didn't really come full circle for me. And so then it sort of as a whole not, felt neither whimsical nor like a horror Story, right? It just was like a weird mashup of the two halves and halves, I guess. Right. Like it might have been more effective if it was leaning
0: all the way into one Mm -hmm. or the other, because uh, I agree. There was also, along with the horror, like it was really violent. There was a lot Mm -hmm. of violent death happening in this book, and there was not a lot of reckoning with that, just based on what we know of Evangeline and how sensitive she is and how naive she is Mm -hmm. it seemed like she should have been a lot more affected by these really bloody deaths that she was seeing happen and like she really wasn't and so it just felt also like she was almost like a different character because Mm -hmm. her experiences and the way she reacted was just not in line with how i understood her to react and maybe that speaks to like in the last episode we were like evangeline has no character development and now reading this book i'm like She's acting out of character, <laughs> which means that she had clearly a she did have an established character.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's so true. And I think because I also had moments with Jax where I felt like he was out of character. And mm-hmm. we had talked about in the free, previous episode where it's like, oh, we don't understand him and we don't like, get his motivations, blah, blah, blah. And then we were in his POV and I was like, mm, I don't feel like this is actually – his POV and so I think there mm-hmm. there was we did know more about them in the previous books than we realized we just didn't know it until we got some misalignment in this book <laughs>
0: yeah yeah if anything this book made me appreciate the first two a lot more mm-hmm. and I already really liked them but uh, you know the contrast there's something to be said for the way that this book stands out from the other two. And Mm -hmm. I feel like highlights elements in the other two books that were unfortunately missing in this one. I was just going to say, I did also feel like part of the world feeling less magical is because we got some, some lore coming back to us Mm -hmm. in the form of the Valors. Um, You know, they're a big lore element in the first couple books and they're this like super mysterious family. No one knows what happened to them, et cetera, et cetera. They're basically gods. And then they come back to life and they're really vague. Mm-hmm. Like we can't really tell are they bad, are they good, what do they want, why were they put all put to sleep in the first place was actually kind of unclear to me. Mm-hmm. And also what makes them so magical besides like being a little bit stronger than everyone else. That was definitely something that I felt like was missing for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like I can't even tell you all their names. <laughs> I like don't – they no. were just so vague And I think there was a little bit for me where I got lost between, okay, eh, like, am I not supposed to know this? Because it is lore and it Mm -hmm. it stretches way back. And so nobody knows exactly why they were locked up. Or am I supposed to know? And I'm just, like, not picking it up. I don't know. And, like, I think similarly, I also felt like are they good? Are they bad? Which is sometimes fine when you're reading characters and you can't tell if they're good or bad that can be really intriguing. But in this mm-hmm. case it was just like it was so vague that it it wasn't intriguing. Like it it was like, "No, I just simply am confused." Um, I'm Mm -hmm. not, like, trying to figure them out. I'm just confused. And I think I was also confused because Jax would have known, like, supposedly knew all of these characters before they were, like, put to sleep or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he also seemed sort of, like, confused by them. And, like, they were vague to him. And so I think I just anticipated... A, just having a better, like, I did not anticipate them being, playing such a large role in this book at all, first of all. Yeah. I anticipated Jax having a lot more, like, banter and repertoire with these characters, and he didn't at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I was like, oh, they're going to be using magic, and they're going to have, like, a really clear sort of, like, magical personas, and it's going to be so obvious when they walk in the room that it's like, like, the Valors are here, and it, it, like, it wasn't like that. Right, like, they're just
0: living as, under this new name, Vale, and nobody knows that they're the Valors because they blend in. Right. I'm like, if the Valors are, are to match up with my understanding of them as these really, like, magical basically God beings in the first two books, people should recognize that there's something off about this new Vale family. Yeah. So that seemed weird.
1: No, I I agree. And I, yeah, there's some things that lead into the plot conversation that um, I don't want to get like too off (laughs) the rails on. Yeah. Too ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because something else along with this that I want to talk about is Aurora Valor specifically Mm -hmm. because that was I think something else that kind of threw us off is that the big bad in this story changes and suddenly Aurora Valor is like this evil person behind all of what's been going poorly and she's new we don't know her we don't understand what she really wants Mm -hmm. we're being told that it's because she's in love with Jax but We've never seen any of their, like, backstory together, so we don't know why. And the way that her and Jax interact, like, didn't convince me that she's in love with him. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole thing was just, just fell, unfortunately, a little flat. Because I wanted to be intrigued by Aurora. Mm-hmm. Purple
1: hair? Yeah, cool. sign me up. <laughs> I think... um There was maybe, and sometimes I feel this way when an author tries to do too many twists. And so the the plot just keeps twisting, but you as the reader are not getting enough background and foundation to be emotionally invested in those twists. And so I think it was sort of like, oh, Apollo is the big bad. Oh, never mind. We don't want Apollo... It's not Apollo, it's Aurora who's the big bad and it's Aurora because she's in love with Jax. And you're like, wait, what? Like when? Where? What? kind of thing. And I think that was part of why it got a little bit away, I think, is I just felt like we were trying to do too many twists and like keep things unpredictable that it ended up like not having much emotional impact. Even if it may be... It ended up being disconnected yes. from
0: what we were you know, led to expect. Because like, if Marisol had come back and somehow been more powerful than we expected, I mean, that would have been set up from book one. So that would have been a better payoff. Mm-hmm. But the payoff was just lacking a bit because, like you said, we're just getting introduced to these new people that are big bads and we don't understand why. Mm-hmm. And we don't understand really the stakes because I still don't really understand Aurora's powers. Like, why can she cast a curse like this she cast the story
1: curse i and she cast the curse on jack the archer's curse yeah like just so many curses that she's just creating and i don't know if it's because she's just like a witch i was like can anybody make a curse i didn't think that was the case Uh, but maybe
0: no well, especially curse is that powerful because like the story curse is like the number is it's almost like a character in itself. Mm-hmm. It's like the number one characteristic of the Magnificent North. Even people who live not in the Magnificent Oh my gosh, I can't say that. Magnificent North. Magnificent North know about it. So to find out that she created it and does she have the power to undo it then can she undo the Archer's curse? I don't know. It's just a lot of a lot of questions and we don't have to sit mm-hmm. here and ask all the questions that we won't have answers to. But that was definitely a frustrating element.
1: Yeah. One other thing that I just wanted to talk about before we sort of shift to talking about the plot. Um, a big reason why this book felt different from the previous ones for me was just like the lack of banter between characters. Um mm-hmm. And we sort of mentioned before we started recording the fact that Evangeline doesn't have her memories for the -hmm. first half of the book really impacts her character. And it makes sense that it impacts her character because she, like, doesn't have memories and therefore she's, like, feeling insecure and feeling unsure. But it sucked a lot of her fun aspects out like she wasn't having any Mm -hmm. banter with anyone because she was like what is going on and yeah I think that for me really zapped the chemistry between Evangeline and Jax Um, agreed it was still there because I felt like Jax was giving from his side yeah but like Evangeline was like a log (laughs) she was like giving nothing We also just didn't get a lot of
0: scenes with them anyway. No, we didn't. really until towards the end. Yeah. And so it was a lot of Evangeline and Apollo who have no chemistry and no... Like, I I at least wished she was snarkier towards him in some way. Mm -hmm. Like, bro, you're not going to give me back my memories and you just expect me to love you? But she doesn't... uh, And I understand why. Like, she's feeling really insecure because she doesn't have her memories. Well,
1: and I do think that There was maybe an attempt at this idea of like Evangeline sees that she's gotten everything that she's ever dreamed of. Like she's a princess married Mm -hmm. to a handsome prince and she's dressed in luxury and it's lovely. And yet she's still like she doesn't know how she got there and that makes her unhappy. And so it's a little bit like, oh, does the journey to happiness actually is that like what actually makes Happiness. Um -hmm. and so I I did think that there was maybe an attempt to sort of explore uh Evangeline sort of reckoning with, okay, I have everything that I want, but I'm not happy with it, and I don't know how I got here. But it didn't it didn't really make up for the fact that like Apollo has a zero personality. Um, and Mm -hmm. so I did not understand why she, like, even when they kiss, because he, like, takes her up to the top, and they, like, look at the firework display or whatever, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's sweet, Mm -hmm. but, like, when she kissed him, I was like, what?
0: Yeah, (laughs) it came out of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, why, girl, why? Yeah. I know, I know, I feel like uh, another theme that I had found really fascinating in this series is the theme of like, what is a happily ever after? Mm -hmm. Like, I think Stephanie Garber was trying to reckon with that question a little bit similar to what is fate and how do how does that play into our lives? It was also like, what's actually a happily ever after? Because we know that a lot of times a happily ever after is written. And then we're just left in this ambiguous place where we don't know what that actually means. Mm -hmm. And so in the first two books, I really thought we were going to start like, I had kind of expected this book to really get at, like, oh, Evangeline realizes that she has her textbook happily ever after and she's not happy. And I suppose that happened, but we don't really see Evangeline directly reckoning with that very much. It's like, like you said, an attempt was made, yeah. but it just didn't
1: quite fully get fleshed out. I think I think that's a really good point. I think there were a few things, a few moments where I, as the reader, could infer what was happening and what certain things meant, but the characters were never reckoning with it. Mm -hmm. And so then it just felt a little disconnected, I guess, because I was like, well, I as the reader am recognizing that there should be a reckoning, but you as the character are not, and that's kind of an odd space to be. Yeah, yeah.
0: Definitely. It definitely made it hard for this book to hold my attention. Mm -hmm. I feel like I really struggled to get through, especially the first half of this book, just because there were, I mean, I respect the attempt at an interesting uh, theme, like what is a happily ever after, Mm -hmm. but because it wasn't really coming across on the page and it was mostly in my head, I was finding my mind wandering when I was reading the story and Mm -hmm. really struggling to be into it until of course the second half when things picked up but yeah i think going back to what you were saying about this book just not really having themes i feel like it 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 attempted some themes and they just didn't quite come through unfortunately
1: yeah yeah should we sort of transition into the plot yeah yeah because this is where a lot of Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) A lot of stuff just kind of fell apart. Well, so let's let's back up a little bit because in our Ballad of Never After episode we did talk about how there were a lot of loose ends and it seemed like a lot of things were being set up and this, we knew going into this book that it was going to have to do a lot of tying up of said loose ends Mm -hmm. and I do think those loose ends were acknowledged and addressed in some capacity Mm -hmm. i was left varying degrees of satisfied to unsatisfied with some of those methods of tying up said loose ends but i did Mm -hmm. feel like there was a real attempt at continuity and um tracking from the beginning of this series through this book to make sure that some of those things were aligned and like those mm-hmm. little questions that we had answered like I really appreciated even though it was kind of a throwaway comment but we do get Jack's sort of saying oh he chose to become a fate so that chaos wouldn't be lonely and it's just like a throwaway yes. line but I was like okay that it was that's a question that I had and I've we've uh, we've semi-addressed it I still don't know how one becomes a fate but mm-hmm. I think it was just like little moments like that where I felt like showed clear intention to sort of be really aware of what loose ends were out there and how could they be addressed mm-hmm. and so I do want to just say I appreciated that um, yes
0: I would agree I feel like another loose end that we got tied up was, uh, or maybe as I'm like thinking about this, I'm like maybe we didn't. But I had, (laughs) I had questions about like why were what was the relationship between the Valors and Jax, Mm -hmm. and like how did he feel about that. And and Jackson Castor's relationship, like, what was that like? Mm-hmm. And I do feel like again with some of the throwaway lines, we got a little bit more understanding of like Jackson Castor Agreed. were really close, close enough that Jax chose to become a fate, uh, just so that Castor wouldn't be lonely. And uh, clearly, we we get an understanding that there was something going on between Aurora and Jax, and it wasn't quite fleshed out, but we at least got sort of an attempt made to address that so we did get a little bit more of Jax's oh you know something I loved we got this moment where Jax says that it we're in his POV and he says that his human memories are a lot stronger Mm -hmm. and more potent than his immortal memories and so there's something cruel about being immortal where you always are going to like essentially be forced to romanticize your human life because those memories are going to be so vivid and so strong and everything's going to feel a little bit weak in comparison. Mm-hmm. So I loved that because that was like one little nugget of insight into how Jax actually feels about being immortal mm-hmm. and uh, and why he is so jaded. And I I wish we had expanded upon that a little more, but I loved that little like nugget of information.
1: Yeah, I think that we should have this is this is my take. I think that we should have only had Jax and Evangeline POVs. I don't mm-hmm. think we needed Apollo's POV because I think it maybe it would have been so interesting if we found out that Apollo was like a certified psychopath when, like, Evangeline and Jax did. Because, first of all, Evang- this book ends and Evangeline does not know that he has had all of these people killed just to, like, I know. ensure that she, like, loves him. Like, he has her guards killed, her tutor tortured... Uh, he like kills that like 14 year old boy little kid just so that like he can create this narrative that Jax is awful and like Evangeline isn't safe and needs Apollo to protect her and the fact that that never (laughs) gets acknowledged I was like killed me killed me yeah
0: and no. Instead we get Evangeline being like empathetic toward him in one of the alternate endings, which we can talk we'll talk about the alternate endings at the end. But I was like, holy shit, she doesn't it, it never really occurred to me how little she knows about like what Apollo's actually been doing behind mm-hmm. the scenes.
1: And But yeah, he's like a
0: certified psychopath.
1: Certified. And I I think that his like psychopathic actions were kinda were like Interesting as I read them, but because they never became relevant later on, I was like, just give me Jack's POV because I really enjoyed like being in Jack's mind when he was interacting or thinking about Evangeline. I thought that that was really – Helped give us, like, a lot of context. It was, like, very swoony at those points. I love a tortured soul. Mm -hmm. You know I do. Oh, yeah, we know. he was, like, peak tortured. (laughs) And he's like, I'm going to kill her, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, the moments that he had with Castor. And, like, when he goes and he's, like, looking for Castor. And he, like, looks at the roof of that house. And that's, like, where they used to, like, hang out when they were kids. Mm -hmm. And he was, Mm -hmm. like not he's like I wasn't surprised at all when like castor would like jump down and he had been on the same roof and I was like that's really sweet and like that's really interesting and yeah I felt like they had a really complex dynamic that could have been and maybe will in future books be like dive in a little bit deeper because Jax is like this is my oldest friend but he also killed the person that i love and so therefore i'm really Mm -hmm. angry about that and i don't know Mm -hmm. he like verbally or mentally says that he's having these conflict of emotions towards caster but he doesn't necessarily that's all we get is him just telling us that he feels conflicted about him and i would have Mm -hmm. liked to have seen a little bit more of that um i okay i do have to talk about one major plot point that i am either just like dumb or it was just like really unclear to me how this was resolved but why can evangeline survive jack's kiss
0: banger of a question
1: i went back i like reread that section multiple times because when he doesn't have his heart, he, like, tries to kiss her and, like, mm-hmm. the the bracelet or whatever blocks him and, like, he's in pain. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we know that in that I, – I think it's – I don't know if it's, like, if you intend harm and so if, like, he intended to kill her and that's why it hurt him or it was, like, a sure fact that if he kissed her, she would die. Yeah, that was unclear. And then she, like – she's like no I like when they're at the phoenix tree she's like you're the one I love she like has this like cute little like mini monologue and she's like you're the one I choose blah 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 blah, and then she kisses him Mm -hmm. and she lives and I'm like why (laughs) I don't know yeah you know similarly her
0: memories all came back at once and we didn't really get an explanation of why that happened either. I think that was just another unfortunate, like, thing with the plot. I there
1: think, yeah, the memories pulse. wasn't as huge to me because she had been having flashbacks. Like, they had been, she had, like, been getting bits and pieces. And so it did sort of feel like, like, cracks in a dam and then, like, the dam just broke and all of her memories came back. It seemed more like a, mm, like, she had sort of, like, okay. pushed through the spell and, like, her love for Jax or whatever enabled her to like break through or something kind of along those lines. I I do think it could have benefited okay. from some like real clarity, but yeah. The the kiss I because I was haunted from day one. I was like, how are they gonna resolve this? How is he gonna be able to yeah. kiss her? And I still don't and then know. And they just kiss
0: and it's fine. You know. You know what it made me think of was in Harry Potter when like we find out that. Spoilers for Harry Potter. We find out that Harry survived Voldemort's uh killing curse because, because of his mother's of love. love, and I I think that's that's what this was giving to me. Yeah. It was like the power of love has overcome Jax's curse. Yeah, that's the only like explanation we really got, and that's the only answer I can think of. But it doesn't make any sense because we've never had any just like in Harry Potter, we've never had any precedent in this story about love being like some super powerful, like love having a magical element to it. Mm -hmm. So it just, yeah, it it didn't didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. I
1: loved the kiss. Yeah, I mean, I loved the whole scene with the phoenix tree. And I thought that like Jax was really moving in that section just because he's like, he's taken out his heart. He wants to destroy his heart. And- Mm -hmm he's like in proximity to his heart and it, and like Evangeline is there and they like he's like so vulnerable mhm and so it is and then like when she like faints because she, they're like kissing and she like forgets to <laughs> breathe cuz she forgot to breathe i thought that was like that was funny. so hilarious and like sweet yeah so i did love the scene I as a whole but i was like but wait why why can they kiss
0: no clue i know no because aurora i mean this goes back to aurora because the curse that Jax had on him was the archer's curse mm-hmm. which is supposedly this all-powerful aurora set it up but maybe there was like a hole in her spell casting question mark i really don't know every curse has a back door
1: we know that yeah that is true
0: I guess love is the back door to this. Well, you know, the the reveal also that the reveal that Jax's curse was actually that the only girl who could survive his kiss was a girl who would never love him. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. But it came a, like a little bit too late and too fast where it was like, whoa, I feel like we didn't talk about this enough. Well,
1: and Jax doesn't know that. Jax isn't there when Aurora Oh, that's so says true. That, he doesn't even get, no. he doesn't get to reckon with that at all. There's like, So he doesn't... <laughs> he has no idea. And, like, we finished this book, and we still don't know if anybody has told him that this whole time... Oh, my gosh. Like, that was what was going on with Donatella. And, yeah, I think there were... I think maybe that was something that was challenging for me where there were these moments where I was like, oh, like, I can't wait... For Jax to confront this. I can't wait for Evangeline to confront this. And then mm-hmm. they never do. Like the fact they that Apollo do. stole Evangeline's memories. And we just get this throwaway moment where Evangeline's like, oh no, Jax. Like you didn't do this. Apollo did this. And then it's like Jax look murderous for a second. And then he says, it still doesn't matter. I was like, no, it yeah. totally matters. Like I wanted you to be so... Bad and yeah,
0: that's so true. This whole time, Jax thought that she just lost her memory because of magic. He didn't realize Apollo had inflicted that upon her.
1: Yeah, there's so much that he did. He has no idea Apollo would, like did and inflicted. And I just, what I really wanted was for Jax to find out and like, just be at like peak sinister Jax, and mm-hmm. he he, like, punches him and beats him up and it's like, okay, that's that's fine. But Jax as a character is, like, this conniving manipulator. Like, he's always the... He's, like, yeah. the puppet master and you don't realize right. that he's pulling all of these strings until it's too late. And I was like, okay, well, like, where's that? Don't use a blunt instrument like your fists in this impromptu fight. Like, I wanted it to be revealed that Jax... Had, like, been doing something nefarious to Apollo behind the scenes the whole time or something like that.
0: Oh, yeah. Because that would track with his character. Yeah, But, again, the – I don't know. The character continuity
1: was Was just lacking a little bit. Yeah, a little bit wishy-washy.
0: And I also think maybe that was a flaw with the multi-POVs happening in this Mm. book is, like, we had so many things happening and then the characters – Weren't communicating those things to each other. Well,
1: and they never do. Because we...
0: They they never never find
1: out any... Like, the things that are happening in the individual POVs when other characters are not present never gets explained to other characters. Like, that... The communication is not only... They're not communicating with one another, but there are zero reveals.
0: Yes, which was frustrating because I think as fantasy readers who've read multiple books that have multi-POVs, we kind of expect, like, that's usually how it goes, Mm -hmm. is, like, there's a lot of miscommunication for a while, and then everything comes to a head, and all these characters find out this information from each other, and there's, like, a big reveal, and there really never was. Was there even, like, a climactic moment of this book? I guess it was, like, the Evangeline Jack's kiss, but that was literally at the
1: end. Yeah, it was, like, the kiss, and then, um, like, the Tree of Souls thing with yeah okay yeah which
0: Apollo we already talked about how he's a psychopath but it it just didn't make sense to me how we're supposed to be led to believe that the reason he's acting like a psychopath is because he's in love with Evangeline and in his own twisted way is trying to protect her but then at the end he tries to sacrifice her to the tree of souls and I don't understand where that came from
1: yeah no I think it's not super clear I think it becomes more that evangeline like i think what we're supposed to sort of get from that is evangeline chooses jacks because he sees them kissing and Mm -hmm. i think he's like well if i can't have her no one can Okay. And so I'm gonna kill her and like become a a god essentially, who can then kill Jax. That was my understanding. Uh, okay. Okay, I suppose I can see that. It just I wish
0: Apollo's character had been more clear because I think he his characters suffered from that like sort of half in half out thing mm-hmm. where we're like halfway being described as like oh he's. Like, he's been told this thing by his father that he, like, needs to be a good leader who's remembered. So that's what's motivating him. But, oh, he's also a psychopath. So it's like, is it one or
1: the other? Well, and it's not entirely clear, like, why he's obsessed with Evangeline. No. Because it's sort of like this, we get the impression that there's the Archer's curse has sort of, like, left, like... Some magic in him, where he's like still obsessed with her, but doesn't want to kill her Uh necessarily. Uh And I don't know if that's what I'm supposed to assume is his main motivating factor in being obsessed with her, because he doesn't know her. He was in a curse for like two books. He was cursed. So
0: like, so yeah, this is the problem. If he had not been cursed the entire time, we said this in the last episode. We were like. He is too important of a character to have literally no autonomy for two books. Mm -hmm. And if we had seen him at some point having autonomy and like had some understanding of what his personality was before he got cursed, I think that really would have helped.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or at the very least, have him truly be the singular big bad in this book and Mm -hmm. focused in on... Maybe because of the impact of the curse, maybe not. He's a psycho now and he's out to have Evangeline no matter the cost. I think that could have Mm -hmm. maybe been interesting. And then as a reader, it's like, oh, I don't really need to know that much about his personality because we know he's an irrational character. Yeah, And so his motivations are like crazy. And because it's like you said, it's half in, half out where it's like, oh, We have some logical motivations, but then we also just have, like, some craziness, and we're not sure which one we're supposed to depend on for his motivations. Mm -hmm. It gets confusing as to whether you should be, like, empathetic towards him or just, like, outright have him maximum suffering. I don't know which one I was supposed to feel.
0: Yeah, he gets really muddy as a villain. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, did you have any other, like... (laughs) <laughs> points to make about the plot itself um I don't oh yes I do <laughs> why was there the the assassin who tries to kill Evangeline oh, when she's in her bed Gosh, who sent that yeah where's that person from
0: who was that
1: yeah it's an assassin yeah. sent to torture Evangeline and we never get any resolution no why. on why
0: oh that's so true and you know what that also reminds me this byron bellflower guy mm-hmm. who tries to kill her randomly and we know that it's because he was supposedly like petra's lover uh-huh. but that just like happens i know and then he just never comes back like it never goes anywhere i was
1: like what i know why i think i got the sense it was just like a device to leave yes away yes I sort of got the sense that there were a few moments where it's like, okay, there was a clear scene or plot point that the characters needed to reach. And Stephanie Garber wasn't sure how to get them to reach that point. And so there's some Mm -hmm. sort of throwaway devices and moments um, that don't really make any sense in the broader scheme of the story, but just sort of... Mm -hmm serve to to get characters from point a to point b which is hard yeah yeah it was unfortunate seeing that happen
0: and i know we wanted to talk a little bit about Stephanie Garber herself cuz I I was curious to hear from you cuz I know you read a lot of interviews with her and stuff and I read the acknowledgments mm-hmm. and she like one of the first lines in the acknowledgments after the end of this book is she's like this was so hard for me to write mm-hmm. and she kind of says it over and over like this was a really difficult time for me do you know like what was going on i don't know do you have any insight into
1: so i i don't know exactly what was going on um i know that she she was really sick um, oh, Okay. like this time last year, uh, for like a few months, she was like totally quiet on social media and that's why her book tour this year is so limited. She's not going very many places mm-hmm. because she was so sick last year. And I think, um, it just was like a really negative experience for her. And so I, mm-hmm. I think that it's, like you said, based on her author's note and a few other things that she said. um, I think her, the year that she spent writing this book was extremely challenging. And I think she had a lot of personal stuff happening. And, you know, she makes a few comments where she like mentions several people who, without whom, she wouldn't have finished the book like people who encouraged her and like pushed her to like get this book done and I think Mm -hmm. that comes across in this story I think that's why the book sounds Mm -hmm. so different from her previous ones and it feels so different I think she herself Mm -hmm. was not in like regular stephanie garber headspace i think she was in a really rough place and i think that's maybe why there's more like horror elements that appear in this book rather than like magical whimsy i think it definitely tracks and and like i had said on the previous episode for ballad she did say that she had like a really clear outline of how she wanted this story to sort of go and so she I think she had the bones of where she wanted this book to be as far as Mm -hmm. certain plot points and then really struggled to connect those dots. And I think that's where there's a lot of sort of disconnect and continuity challenges. I think it's clear that this book was hard for her to write and it doesn't read as fluidly. And as smoothly as some of her previous stuff, and I and I just think that it it makes a lot of sense to me that she mm-hmm. like I, when I read that author's note after I had finished that um, this book had been really difficult for her to write. That really aligned for me. I think you can really tell sometimes when an author was like when they finish the book and they they have the author's note and it's like this book was like such a joy to write or, like, I wrote this in, like, a fevered haze and, like, blah, 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 and it, like, shows. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, no, this book Mm -hmm. literally just flows when you read it and then when it doesn't flow a ton when you read it and you it's clear that, okay, the author was also sort of battling to get it on the page, and I have a lot of empathy Mm -hmm. for that, I think. Definitely. Definitely, because,
0: I mean, the thing about creating art is, you know, when you're it, – it, it really – you can't force creativity mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And so if she was really struggling, I can definitely see why. It would be hard, especially because we talked in the last episode about how, I think with her publisher, she only had a deal for two books. Mm-hmm. And so she didn't even know if she was going to get to write a third book until – The Ballad of Never After was successful. And then suddenly she had a lot of fans interested. And I just imagine there was probably a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. um, knowing that she had to, you know, complete this trilogy that a lot of people were so invested in. And um, that coupled with going through some personal challenges, I can imagine would just be really difficult, like logistically, you know, dealing with book publishing deals like I've never really thought too much before about how that actually factors into how you plan out your series but now that I know she planned out this series knowing that it might only be two books and trying to get a third made makes sense as to then when it's like oh now I have to write a third book and there's a lot of Mm -hmm. high
1: expectations and I mean what's so crazy to me is that the Ballad of Never After came out November of 2022 and then I mean she must have gotten the green light to write A Curse for True Love. I don't know maybe like December, January. I don't know how quickly those things move but it was like based on the response mm-hmm. of Ballad that she got the, re- the green light to write the next book. And mm-hmm. I know that she had bits and pieces of it written. She'd like talked about that before. But by and large, like this is getting a book to a publisher and out to print in less than a year, which is crazy yeah, that's to me. Really crazy. Um and I think that that, like you said, like that's just an insane amount of pressure for a normal circumstance and then to also be having some like personal challenges as well. I think that's got to be so, so, so difficult.
0: Yeah. And explain why explains why a lot of elements of this book just felt rushed. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's really why, you know, we get to the end in her and Jack's kiss and we just don't really understand why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why that worked is it just it felt rushed. Like, yeah. Who,
1: I, I feel like this book could have been twice as long. I really do.
0: I agree. I hope she I agree because I think she was getting at a lot of good stuff Mm -hmm. um like we discussed earlier about like the theme of what's a happily ever after and we just didn't quite get there Mm -hmm. and and then also like evangeline not really being able to reckon with like losing her memories and then regaining them back and then also experiencing a bunch of traumatic things all at once Mm -hmm. i think you know if there was more length we could have gotten more into that
1: agreed Um, I also think that we get a pretty, it's just so interesting thinking about like the publishing aspects because we get, um, a sort of clear, I think, indication that her next book is likely going to be centered around Lala and chaos, um, Mm -hmm. because they have such a moment. I was like, wow, the chemistry is just popping off. And I think it's really interesting because I think that triangle is a sort of similar um what is what is a happily ever after because la la you know is supposed to oh, be she's with been pining for this guy. Yeah, she's been pining for him she's yeah. got a whole ass tattoo for him and then yeah. he's awake and she's like okay we've both like i've changed a lot and like the world has changed and he hasn't changed at all because he's been asleep and You know, we're not connecting like we used to be. But then her and Chaos just have, like, this insane chemistry. And he's the brother. I was like, oh, my God. And so I think... I know. And I do... I did get the sense that initially with this series, with Ballad, Stephanie Garber was sort of, like, dipping her toe into the idea of a love triangle. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we never really fully went in there because Apollo was never a contender. But... I like the idea of maybe a more like a like I am not always about a love triangle, but Mm -hmm. the situation between Lala, Dane and chaos has so much background and it makes so much sense that a love triangle would form that I'm very intrigued by that. And I do think that there are some things in this the ending of this book and the ending of A Curse for True Love. Particularly as it pertains to the Valors where things Mm -hmm. are a little – we're playing it a little like fast and loose and things Mm -hmm. are not tied up the way that I expected them to be. Particularly we've had multiple scenes of like mass murders and we know it's chaos. Yes. But we don't see any resolution for that in this book. And I Mm -hmm. think that's because it's going to appear in her next book, in her next series. Yes.
0: Yes. And I will be seated because (laughs) something we did get in this book was more chaos. And I loved it. I loved every scene that he was in. I'm obsessed with Mm -hmm. him. And I think there is, like you said, some some chemistry brewing there with him and Lala. I think Lala is a pretty intriguing character. Mm -hmm. She never really got fleshed out the way I wanted her to. But if we're going to get another series on her there's a lot of potential
1: yes and particularly ready for a story
0: where chaos is the love interest. oh my god
1: i know nothing (laughs) nothing better than a mass murderer love interest am i right ladies (laughs) um also dane is a dragon like he like shapeshifts into a dragon so do with that what you will um what was i gonna say Oh, one thing that we do know with Lala is she's got like a big personality and I'm really interested to see that on page because, yeah. you know, the critique with Evangeline and honestly, I think the critiques with um, like Scarlett and Donatella in Caraval is there mm-hmm. a little like insert me sort of vibes. They don't have a ton yeah. of on their own personality versus Lala, I feel like is a very distinct character though she's not super fleshed out particularly in her like her history and you know what she's always feeling but she has some really clear character attributes like she's tangible to Mm me Mm -hmm. and and i think that that could be really interesting so we'll be seated stephanie yeah sign me up yeah
0: and you know what Uh, thinking about like this episode compared to our chain of thorns episode i think that's like a big difference is that chain of thorns was such a letdown that we were like so pissed off we were like we're not even gonna read cassandra clare ever again and with this one it was like we we liked it still mm-hmm. even though it was like maybe fell flat or wasn't what we expected i'm gonna read the next one yep and there's
1: definitely something to be said for that for sure uh do we want to talk about the epilogues
0: yes i do because i thought this was a pretty interesting aspect is knowing that Stephanie Garber had always wanted to write a story that has multiple endings. And she sort of did that with The Ballad of Never After, too, because, mm-hmm. like, we get the ending where Evangeline dies, and then we get it reversed. And, um, oh, another just, like, throwaway thought. I wish that Evangeline had more reaction to, like, finding out that she had died in an alternate timeline. <laughs> I
1: know, I know. I did appreciate like, oh. how... Um, how much Jax was impacted by her death. Like, Stephanie Meyer... Stephanie mm-hmm. Meyer, hello. Stephanie Garber. Not st- <laughs> Stephanie! Gar- Too many Stephanie. Um Too many Stephanie's. But Stephanie Garber did a really good job of, like, kind of pulling that in at just the right moments for Jax and how that was informing his mm-hmm. choices and his decisions. I think of all mm-hmm. the characters, Jax made the most sense to me in this book. I felt like I understood what he was doing generally. Um, Mm -hmm. Like the motivations always felt pretty clear to me because she did a good job of like tying back in like his memory of of Evangeline dying. Agreed. He had the most continuity of all the characters. Mm -hmm. But...
0: Uh, Going off of that, we now get a few different endings or epilogues with Evangeline and Jax that could all exist in the same timeline or could not, which is interesting. And right now, as we're recording this episode, only two of them are
1: out. Yes, the Owl Crate epilogue has not been made available on the interwebs.
0: (laughs) Yes. So So we're going to go with what we have, which is the Barnes and Noble ending. And um, what's the name of the other one?
1: Uh, Waterstones, the UK ending, which I was like, sucks for the UK people, because I think the Barnes & Noble epilogue was way more satisfying than the Waterstones epilogue. Oh, really? I thought the Waterstone one was more satisfying. Oh my gosh, really? I just... Yeah. I was like, uh, I need... Okay, for those of you who don't know the epilogues, the Barnes & Noble epilogue, this is spoilers in case... Spoilers for the epilogues. The Barnes & Noble special edition is basically um, Jax and Evangeline are at the hollow. And they're just – it's just like a happy little continuation of like where they're at. And they're just in the hollow living their life, being cute AF. And Jax is like, I don't want anybody to come – visit i just want to be the two of us forever and evangeline's like "Mm, i think we need to have visitors and so they like open the hollow as like an inn essentially um even though jack doesn't really want to yeah but it's like a cute and evangeline
0: repaints the sign and it's like
1: come what what is it that he it's says? so evangeline paints the sign and it says the hollow in for travelers adventurers and those searching for happily ever after and then jacks right. paints over it and changes it to and those searching for unhappily ever after um yes which, which i thought was funny i thought was funny and i also felt like in i was a little concerned that in the epilogue um, Jax was gonna be like too soft, like we were gonna have because there are moments in this book where Jax comes across a bit too soft, like we lose the banter, we lose the edge, and mm-hmm. he feels like he's a different character from the previous books, and that's why mm-hmm. they like don't have as much like zip in their relationship. But in yeah. the epilogue, I feel like they are fully back. To how they were in like the ballad, where there's a lot of like teasing, a lot of banter. Jax is always difficult. Evangeline is like, "Why am I here?" And it's all like has this like undertone of oh, okay, they, but they like really love each other, and like it's really sweet and wholesome. But I, mm-hmm. I it made me really optimistic for future books. If Evangeline and Jax show up, um, I think they'll be like a really cute like great addition to like future books in this universe and i was pleased mm-hmm. that Jax was was back to being
0: not a <laughs> i guess that epilogue to me was like your classic happily ever after like you get an epilogue scene where you see the couple being cute and happy mm-hmm. and like a little bit of a glimpse as to like what their future is which is like in this case Jackson Evangeline living in the hollow and potentially welcoming new guests. And then the Waterstone epilogue, if you haven't read it, a quick summary is that Jackson Evangeline go back to the Tree of Souls, and Angelene, Evangeline has the Truth Stone, and she's been told that the Truth Stone not only can it make you always tell the truth, but it, it can also help you write prophecies. And so she like puts some blood on the stone and then she's able to write this prophecy on the tree of souls for Apollo mm-hmm. that basically says the spilled love, spilled blood of his true love can free him. Mm-hmm. So she's like giving Apollo an out. And then Jax is like, you're being too nice. And then he writes like an addendum to the prophecy, but we don't know what it is other than Evangeline saying like, well, that's going to be impossible. And he's like, too bad. (laughs) Yeah. And then it basically ends. So I guess I liked that one because it was less of like a classic happily ever after. Mm -hmm. Because I think something this book was trying to get at is, I mean, I think there's even a line that says like, in every happily ever after, you just get the ambiguous, like couple riding off into the sun and you don't know what happens next. And I felt like, this happens a lot where it's like, you know, there's going to be conflict in the future. And so this epilogue gave us a little bit more of like what the potential conflict, even if it's not like Evangeline and Jack's directly involved, what the conflict in their world could be after this story ends, which is that Apollo going to find his way back out. And who knows if he's With going to be changed or not. True, by true love. love.
1: Hate to be yeah. Apollo's true love. Nightmare scenario. I know. Honestly. A
0: little bit problematic because Evangeline doesn't know that Apollo is a psychopath. So that's like why she's giving him an out. But also, the beginning of this book, the um, dedication is dedicated to everyone who's ever wanted a second chance, I think is what the mm-hmm. wording is. And so that seemed in line with me to the theme of second chances in this story is that even Apollo gets a second chance. Even chaos gets a second chance. Second chances for everyone, no matter how many people you've murdered. <laughs> <laughs> you get a second
1: chance. You get a second chance. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out... Uh, yeah, see, nobody has seen the Owl Crate, owl crate edition. Okay, well. Well,
0: all that's that to say...
1: Um, I will be rereading this series. I I think it's just a really nice, enjoyable series. This last book, I'll probably just flip through and read like the scenes that I like. Maybe not necessarily reread the entire book. Um, yeah. But I love Stephanie Garber and I will read everything that she's written. And I will continue to be obsessed with her.
0: Well, I never reread anything, so I won't be rereading this. <laughs> but I will be seated for her next series. <laughs> and do you have a final rating? Has it changed from six?
1: I mean, I think I'll give it a six point five. Um, I think I'm gonna stick with a five, though. I still feel okay. That good about and that. if I say a six point five, that brings us to five point seven five.
0: Here's the thing about ratings. I read a a blog post the other day by a music blog I follow and she was like I'm not giving any of like my music reviews I'm not doing ratings because some pieces of art just can't be compared to other pieces of art yeah like you can't compare like screamo music to Taylor Swift's folklore for example and um and I agreed with her and I was like man maybe rating stuff is problematic but I'm still gonna do it because I feel like I like the idea of (laughs) I know having like some sort of like numerical like scale but it is weird like thinking of this book compared to ashes and the star king like that's just totally so different. different yeah yeah so all that's to say ratings are fake and we're gonna keep doing them I guess because we like to be <laughs> fake <laughs> so true bestie and with that come back next week yeah we will be discussing 1989 Taylor's version next week we really wanted to talk about this book first because it was fresh on our minds but we're also really excited to talk about 1989 Taylor's version as that's just come out so yeah 1989 Taylor's version next week and then after that we continue to post every Tuesday so come back to see what we're going to talk about next if you You're feeling nice. I would like to request your assistance with something, which is that someone gave us a one-star rating on Spotify. (laughs) And you know what? Go off. Oh, you're allowed to have opinions and hate us if you want to, but we don't have very many ratings. So that really brought our score down. So it takes literally two nanoseconds to rate something five stars on Spotify. If you're listening to this on Spotify Please open it up and give us a five-star rating. We'll be eternally grateful. Anyway, thanks for listening. And uh, you can contact us at the information in our show notes. And we'll see you next week.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: Wow, that was such a chaotic ending.